So uh, each night at this time for for maybe 45 minutes to an hour, something like that, we'll have some uh, reflections on practice and um, uh, and it's always a question to what to talk about on the first night because you're usually kind of tired and run down. Yeah, so collectively decided that we would uh, tell a kind of bedtime story, actually. And um, it's a it's a dear story close to my heart that um, I first heard from um, teacher Steve, Steve Armstrong, and um, really kind of prompted, prompted this talk. And it is, um, it's a, it's a beautiful story that, that on the one hand sounds like it, it could be read, you know, to a young child, uh, but in another way is just very dense with meanings and associations about the whole arc of the spiritual path. Yeah. And stories in Buddhism, they get a bad rap kind of like, oh yeah, story, back to the breath, story, back to the breath. But we think in stories and we think in metaphor and we, as one one person said, we live by metaphor and how we actually construe our world, the stories we tell change the, 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 the reality that we experience. And so um, this is a story um, from the Native American tradition and um, the, the origin's a little unclear. I, I, I asked a, uh, a friend who's a Native American scholar and she thought it was a, a, from the Lakota tradition. And, um, you know, sometimes in, I, I don't know anything about this, but in dream interpretation, it, the suggestion is see yourself in every character, yeah? For this story too, yeah? You know, just to, to see, see oneself in every character. And um, you'll of course have your own experience of it. It's like, um, I'll read a portion of it and provide some, some commentary or reflections, how it connects with the Buddhist path, but you'll hear your own, um, the echoes of your own mind, of your own life in this. And so uh, I'll see what, what, um, what the connotations of this are for you. So this is a story of a jumping mouse. Once there was a mouse. She was a busy mouse searching everywhere, touching her whiskers to the grass and looking. She was busy as all mice are, busy with mice things. But once in a while she would hear an odd sound. She'd lift her head squinting, wiggling her whiskers in the air, and she would wonder. One day she scurried up to a fellow mouse and asked him, do you hear a roaring in your ears, my brother? No, no, answered the other mouse, not lifting his busy nose from the ground. I hear nothing, I'm busy now, talk to me later. 
She asked another mouse the same question and the mouse looked at her strangely. Are you foolish in your head? What sound, they asked, and slipped into a hole in a fallen cottonwood tree. The little mouse shrugged her whiskers and busied herself again, determined to forget the whole matter. But there was that roaring again. It was faint, very faint, but it was there. One day she decided to investigate the sound. Leaving the other busy mice, she scurried a little way away and listened again. There it was. She was listening hard when suddenly someone said hello. Hello, little sister, the voice said and Mouse almost jumped right out of her skin. She arched her back and tail and was about to run. Hello, again said the voice. It is I, Brother Raccoon. And sure enough, it was. What are you doing here all by yourself, little sister? asked the raccoon. The mouse blushed and put her nose almost to the ground. I hear a roaring in my ears and I'm investigating it, she answered timidly. A roaring in your ears, replied the raccoon. What you hear, little sister, is the river. The river, Mouse asked. What is a river? Walk with me and I'll show you the river. Little Mouse was terribly afraid, but she was determined to find out once and for all about all the roaring. And I can return to my work, she thought, after this thing is settled and possibly this thing may aid me in all my busy examining and collecting. And my brothers all said it was nothing. I'll show them. I'll ask Raccoon to return with me and I will have the proof. All right, Raccoon, said Mouse. Lead on to the river. I will walk with you. So how do we begin this path? How do we begin this path? We, we hear something, yeah? Maybe it's the, our own suffering. Maybe it's the cries of the world. Maybe it's the sense of, um, like, is this it? Is this all life is, yeah? In a sense, practice begins with a kind of, of doubt. And the doubt is like, if I keep doing it this way, it's not gonna work out. Yeah. I'm gonna actually have to learn something new. And even though this is very obviously important to us, others are busy they don't hear anything? Are you foolish in your head? And sometimes for me, it's almost almost shameful to talk. I feel ashamed talking about this path of practice with people who don't care about it, yeah? And it's it's because there's there's a kind of vulnerability and just like, I'm not gonna talk about what I love if there's no intention to understand, yeah? And so there's this, our own hearts have to kind of adjust, you know, like uh, 
the, that roaring that we hear so clearly in our ears, maybe faint, is not perceived necessarily by others and may not understand why we're willing to venture out to see. And it is actually, of course, precious to hear the river, to hear some call of the heart, whatever it is, whatever longing for freedom or whatever sorrow or whatever existential questions animate this kind of, the move into retreat, into a path of practice. It's precious to hear the river in the first place. Yeah. This isn't yet faith, but it's the beginning of something. You know, it's the beginning of of curiosity actually animating our spiritual life. And in an important sense, curiosity is is maybe the most most trustworthy intention there is. Yeah. Because curiosity doesn't have an agenda. And that which doesn't have an agenda is very conducive to learning, yeah. So we venture out, the territory is, is, is unknown, it takes courage, yeah. I don't underestimate what it took for, for some of you to sign up, to be here, to stay here, to keep coming back to practice, to the moment. I, I don't don't underestimate that. I, I think it's um, I do think it's it's courageous. Yeah. This sense of not knowing where we're going, of being in uncharted territory, of being in different ground. This is um, uh, a feature of the disorientation. Yeah, and on the spiritual path disorientation is a kind of recurring theme, yeah? We start practice maybe very oriented. We kind of, we have a very ironclad story of who I am and what, what, what I need, what my problems are. But over the course of a Dharma life, many times the kind of, the comfortable understanding of practice is ripped out from under us. Yeah. Sometimes it's ripped out by the immensity of pain or trauma. Sometimes it's, it's ripped out from under us when we start to see more deeply and we realize that we've been living in a dream. Sometimes it's the rug comes out from under us. We become disoriented when we, when the heart is acclimatizing to loss or when we start to get very quiet and all the ordinary reference points of our mind, of who we think we are, start to fade. Yeah. Disorientation is a, is a feature of this path. Now, that f- the first thought of, um, you know, maybe I'm going to, uh, well, first I'm going to show my fellow mice. I'll show them. I'm going to bring raccoon back and tell them there's a river, 
you know. And maybe, maybe what I learn here is going to help me with all my busy examining. Yeah, That's, I love that phrase, like busy examining. Like a lot of my life is kind of busy examining, you know, collecting that. And the jumping mouse here is like, you know, the sense is like, oh, maybe I'll go to, I'll go to the river, I'll go to retreat, I'll go. And then that's going to actually help me with my life, with my ordinary life. Yeah. And the deep tendency in our spiritual practice is to try to plug the Dharma into the infrastructure of our neurosis. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like, all right, here I am. You know, like, I'm just going to just like, I'm just going to add the Dharma, get that badge. And it's just going to help me with my busy examining. Yeah. No. <laughs> it, the thing is that's confusing. It can help with all the busy examining. Yeah. It can make us more adaptive and efficient and easier to get along with all these things. But the contract of the Dharma is much bigger. Little mouse walked with raccoon. Her little heart was pounding in her breast. The raccoon was taking her upon strange paths and little mouse smelled the scent of many things that had gone by her way. Many times she became so frightened she almost hurried back. Finally, they came to the river. It was huge and breathtaking, deep and clear in places and murky in others. Little Mouse was unable to see across it because it was so great. It roared, sang, cried, and thundered on its course. Little Mouse saw great and little pieces of the world carried along its surface. It is powerful, Little Mouse said, fumbling for words. It's a great thing, answered the raccoon. But here, let me introduce you to a friend. In a smoother, shallower place, there was a lily pad, bright and green. Sitting upon it was a frog, almost as green as the pad it sat on. The frog's white belly stood out clearly. Hello, little sister, said the frog. Welcome to the river. I must leave you now, cut in raccoon, but do not fear, for frog will care for you now. And raccoon left, looking along the riverbank for food that she thought she might wash and eat. Little mouse approached the water and looked into it. She saw a frightened mouse reflected there. Who are you, little mouse, asked the reflection. Are you not afraid of being that far out in the great river? She asked frog. No, I'm not afraid. I have been given the gift from birth to live both above and within the river. When winter man comes and freezes this medicine, I cannot be seen. But all the while Thunderbird flies, I am here. To visit me, one must come when the world is green. I, my sister, am the keeper of the water. Amazing, little mouse said at last, fumbling for words. Would you like to have some medicine power? Frog asked. 
medicine power. Me? asked Little Mouse. Yes, yes, if it's possible. Then crouch as low as you can and then jump as high as you are able and you will have your medicine, Frog said. Little Mouse did as she was instructed. She crouched as low as she could and jumped. And when she did, her eyes saw the sacred mountains. Little Mouse could hardly believe her eyes, but there they were. But then she fell back to the earth and landed in the river. Little Mouse became frightened and scrambled back to the bank. She was wet and scared nearly to death. You have tricked me, Little Mouse screamed at the frog. Wait, said the frog. You are not harmed. Do not let your fear and anger blind you. What did you see? I, Mouse stammered, I saw the sacred mountains. And you have a new name, Frog said. It is Jumping Mouse. Thank you, thank you, Jumping Mouse said and thanked Frog again. I want to return to my people and tell them of this thing that's happened to me. Go then, Frog said, return to your people. It's easy to find them. Keep the sound of the medicine river to the back of your head. Go opposite to the sound and you will find your brother mice. Strange paths where we've not gone before, but many have gone by this place. And so we're not, uh, we're not walking this path for the first time. This is a, a well-trodden path. We're standing on the kind of shoulders of 2,600 years of the cultivation of wisdom and compassion. I remember when somebody told me like, um, you know, just mathematically, it would make sense that, that the metta chant, you know, the, the chant on loving kindness, may all beings be happy, yeah? That someone somewhere at all times going back millennia, somebody was chanting that chant, yeah? May all beings be happy, yeah? May they be safe and protected. May they be at peace, yeah? This is arising out of a a whole, there's a whole path we stand on. The mouse uh, gets to the river to, maybe we say the river of life and hears all the different sounds, it roaring and crying, the joys and sorrows of being human. And here we're introduced to the frog who's comfortable, comfortable in the river of life. One of a kind of series of, of guides, of companions. And the, I love um, the mouse's shyness when, when she's asked, like, do you want some, some medicine power, right? And it's like, me, you know, like me, like there's a certain way in which we kind of, some part of our mind makes ourselves the 
the exception to the Buddha's promise, yeah? Like, me? You know, and I, like, that sense of like, no, 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 I know, okay, maybe the Buddhist path is real, but it's like, for you, and I'm different somehow. I don't know, yeah? So she, she, she says yes, yeah? And then that encouragement to crouch low, crouch as low as you can and jump as high as you can. The humility, we get down on our knees, yeah? In the face of suffering, in the face of the wildness of our minds, in the face of the, the pain of the world, we get down on our knees in the face of, of, the, of our, the harm that's been, that we've perpetrated, that's been perpetrated against us, we get down on our knees. And we jump as high as we can. And so this, this kind of, this humility is paired with this like heroic effort and um, we see that, yeah. We're 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 trying to make um, make effort in a in a yeah skillful effort, skillful effort. And of course, we're gonna get wet, yeah. We're gonna think we've been tricked, yeah. Maybe this is a. A shell game of some kind, yeah, maybe, right? And then Frog says, wait, 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 you haven't been harmed, yeah? Don't let the fear and anger distort the mind, yeah? What did you see? What did you see? That's often the question, what are we seeing? And This this kind of um, this fall into into uh, the river it um, it reminds me of something one of my teachers said Shinzen Young um, um, there's no informed consent for enlightenment yeah <laughs> the, in other words the Dharma is always more than we bargain for yeah like. The idea that I'm here, like teaching meditation, is very strange to me. <laughs> like, this was not the plan. Yeah. I'm very happy to be with you, incidentally, <laughs> but this was not the plan. Like, how did this happen? Yeah. And what's going to happen to you? Yeah. Jumping Mouse sees the sacred mountains. The the maybe we say the 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 depth of uh, the depths of well-being or the depths of goodness. Yeah, just to be so. It happens. It's just like to really see goodness. To be so deeply moved by that. And our our life starts to to feel more holy as we do that. 
as we have some kind of reference point, life starts to feel holy. And then, of course, we return to the place of other mice. We go against the sound of the river. We make sure the sound is at, the, at our back, yeah? And on this path, we, we are, um, yeah, we tolerate some measure of disconnection from maybe some of the prevailing cultural values, but we want to make sure that we don't get self-righteous in that process, yeah? So yeah, the heart disconnects from some aspects of what we've known, but we can continue to see ourselves in others and others in ourselves, yeah? When we lose that thread, that's when we start to get kind of um, a certain kind of spiritual arrogance or something, yeah? So we can always look like in whoever is in front is in front of us, however distant they might be from this path of wisdom and compassion, we can look how how can we see ourselves in them and them in us. Jumping Mouse returned to the world of mice, but she found disappointment. No one would listen to her. And because she was wet and had no way of explaining because there had been no rain, many other mice were afraid of her. They believed she'd been spat from the mouth of another animal that had tried to eat her. And they all knew that if she had not been food for the one who wanted her, then she must be poison for them too. Jumping Mouse lived again amongst her people, but she could not forget her vision of the sacred mountains. The memory burned in her mind and heart. And one day she went to the edge of the place of mice and looked out onto the prairie. She looked up for eagles. The sky was full of many spots, each one an eagle, but she was determined to go to the sacred mountains. She gathered all her courage and ran just as fast as she could onto the prairie. Her little heart pounded with excitement and fear. She ran until she came to a stand of sage and was resting, trying to catch her breath when she saw an old mouse. The patch of sage where old mice lived was a haven for mice, seeds and many things to be busy with. Hello, said old mouse, welcome. Jumping mouse was amazed, such a place and such a mouse. You are truly a great mouse, Jumping Mouse said, with all the respect she could find. This is a wonderful place. And the eagles cannot see you here either? Yes, said Old Mouse. And one can see all the beings of the prairie here, the buffalo, antelope, rabbit, and coyote. One can see them all from here and know their names. This is marvelous, Jumping Mouse said. Can you also see the river and the great mountains? Yes and no, Old Mouse said with conviction. I know the great river, but I'm afraid the mountains are only a myth. Forget your passion to see them and stay here with me. There's everything you want here and it's a good place to be. How can he say such a thing, thought Jumping Mouse. 
the medicine of the sacred mountains is nothing one can forget. Thank you very much for the meal you've shared with me, old mouse, and for sharing your great home, jumping mouse said. But I must seek the mountains. You are a foolish mouse to leave. There's danger out on the prairie. Just look up there, old mouse said. See all those spots? They're eagles and they'll catch you. It was hard for Jumping Mouse to leave, but she gathered her determination and ran hard again. Now we have the kind of, the, the turning of the heart towards Dharma, a path of, of liberation. There's a kind of, um, yeah, a reverence, a reverence for, for goodness, something we, we can't forget. It's like once the lights have been turned on, even for just an instant, you can't turn them off forever again. Yeah, can't forget what you've seen. There's, I got a, a warning from a teacher who said something like, um, don't get stuck in a good place. Yeah? Like, it's like a spiritual um, cul-de-sac, yeah? Where it's nice where old mouse lived. Lots of things to be busy with and you can see all the beings of the prairie, the other way is like a comfortable place. We can actually get caught in a good place, yeah? And that happens to us. Sometimes we only know it in retrospect that we've been kind of camping out in some comfortable nest within our spiritual, emotional development, yeah? And and then we see like, oh, I was, I it didn't fully recognize as being a little bit stuck, but there was something that was stagnating in the heart. I got, I got too comfortable with a good place, yeah? And so the, the story of the Buddha was like um, this kind of, yeah, this willingness to keep, to keep going, to keep exploring, even amidst the kind of, the clarity and the bliss of some of his early practice as the story goes. And um, it's, it's easy to, uh, to stop, to become a certain, like, yeah, complacent. And here we're also seeing like the, in, the birth of a kind of intuitive wisdom that the mouse ignores her guide, old mouse, yeah? Yes, there's a river, no, there sacred mountains are a myth. And little mouse uh, says like, how can one forget this, you know, the vision of the sacred mountains, yeah? Um, put differently, you all need to learn when to ignore us. Yeah, for real. That's actually part of the kind of developmental path is discerning when the instruction, the, the pointing out the something is actually doesn't 
is, is not wisdom for you. Yeah. And we have to find our own way. It's like this process of individuating from a teacher or a tradition and coming to uh, listen more deeply, yeah, to our own heart. And that means that sometimes the path will feel like you're making it up as you go along, yeah? It's improvisational. The ground was rough, but she arched her tail and ran with all her might. She could feel the shadows of the spots upon her back, all those spots. Finally, she ran into a stand of choke cherries. Jumping Mouse could hardly believe her eyes. It was cool there and very spacious. There was water, cherries, seeds to eat, grasses to gather for nests, holes to be explored, and many, many other busy things to do. And there was a great many things to gather. She was investigating her new domain when she heard very heavy breathing. She quickly investigated the sound and discovered its source. There were black horns and a great mound of hair. It was a great buffalo. Jumping Mouse could hardly believe the greatness of the being she saw lying there. She was so large, Jumping Mouse could have crawled into one of her great horns. Such a magnificent being, thought Jumping Mouse, and she crept closer. Hello, my sister, said Buffalo. Thank you for visiting me. Hello, great being, said Jumping Mouse. Why are you lying here? I am sick and I am dying, the buffalo said. And my medicine has told me that the only the eye of a mouse can heal me. But little sister, there's no such thing as a mouse. Jumping Mouse was shocked. One of my eyes, she thought, one of my tiny eyes. She scurried back into the stand of choke cherries, but the breathing came harder and slower. She will die. If I do not give her my eye, she, will, she is too great a being to let die. She went back to where the buffalo lay and spoke. I am a mouse, she said with a shaky voice. And you, my sister, are a great being. I cannot let you die. I have two eyes, and you may have one of them. The minute she said it, Jumping Mouse's eye flew out of her head, and the buffalo was made whole. The buffalo jumped to her feet, shaking uh, Jumping Mouse's whole world. Thank you, my little sister, said the buffalo. I know of your quest for the sacred mountains and of your visit to the river. You have given me life so that I may give to the people. I will be your sister forever. Run under my belly and I will take you right to the foot of the sacred mountains. And you need not fear the spots. The eagle cannot see you while you run under me. All they will see will be the back of a buffalo. I am of the prairie, and I will, I will fall on you if I try to go up the mountains. Little Mouse ran under the buffalo, secure and hidden from the spots, 
but with only one eye it was frightening. Buffalo's great hose shook the whole world each time she took a step. Finally, they came to a place and Buffalo stopped. This is where I must leave you, little sister. Thank you very much, said Jumping Mouse. But you know, it was very frightening running under you with only one eye. I was constantly in fear of your great earth-shaking hooves. Your fear was for nothing, said Buffalo, for my way of walking is the Sundance way, and I always know where my hooves will fall. I now must return to the prairie, my sister. You can always find me there. We uh, wake up to a, a certain kind of reverence, a holiness, a reverence for goodness, a reverence for uh, what, what others have cultivated in their own hearts. And it, it starts to be, to be moving. The, these great qualities of the heart um, maybe have been lying dormant or dying even, yeah? Just unseen amidst the busyness of our life. And for me, I remember for, for years doing, uh, doing loving kindness practice and, um, you know, and and um, just crying whenever I would do that practice. And those tears were sort of composed of many different threads. But one of them was, um, one of those threads was just this sense of, like, I almost, I, I was just so moved that that there was goodness, yeah? In others, in me. And it becomes this almost devotional relationship to goodness. And so for, for you, you know, when you sense into that, when you actually sense the poignancy of your life, your longing for happiness, when you sense the beautiful qualities in yourself, like, let yourself be moved by that. Yeah. It becomes much harder to do harm when we've marinated in that kind of goodness, when we've been moved by our own goodness. There's a measure, of course, of renunciation, giving up the I, right? Um, changing how we see, letting go of views. The uh, early and early Buddhist teaching of Takavaga, um, the Buddha says, it's not easy to overcome being entrenched in views, wishing to take up a doctrine. Those who are who are cleansed do not form a view about states of becoming or non-becoming anywhere in the world. One who is attached argues over doctrines. How and with what does one argue with someone unattached? Embracing nothing, rejecting nothing, right here a person has shaken off every view. A person's shaken off every view. 
when um, yeah there there are ways in which the not just the need to cling to views but the need to even have a view to formulate a narrative just that even that feels like a burden on the heart and maybe you'd notice sometimes at the end of a sit or in some quiet moment there's just there's no impulse whatsoever to to even have a view you need not say anything about yourself the world there's certainly no grounds for arguing or disputing yeah it's like just this is enough just this sensory experience it need not be knit together into a more elaborate view The, um, this investigation of the, the view of, of our, um, um, of how we see this Nisargadatta, um, there's one mistake you're making. You take the inner for the outer and the outer for the inner. The mind and feelings are external, but you take them to be intimate. You believe the world to be objective, while it is a projection of your psyche. This is the basic confusion. What we experience inwardly, the sent thoughts and feelings, they feel like they emanate out of the house of self. They feel like they point back to somewhere in us. But they are a lot more like sound than we imagine. We can know our inner life intimately but not construe it as a a rising out of the center point of our being. And when we do that, we start to get much less moralistic about our life. But then what we see is a projection of our psyche. We start to see that like how we construe, how we formulate views, how we, the, the very mechanisms of perception are um, an expression of our own mind, yeah? That the mood we're in becomes a kind of filter, a way of seeing all of experience. We, we just, um, yeah, we, we want to appreciate how much we're doing to experience, yeah? That's part of the learning of this path. And there's, of course, a measure uh, here of, uh, of renunciation, yeah? Ajahn, Ajahn Amaro said, um, you know, the, the whole role of renunciation can be omitted from the Dharma field. The fact the Buddha was a monk gets lost. 
in wedging the Dharma teachings into a comfortable life, one may be missing something that's crucial to the Dharma. I'd suggest that people look at closely at this. Is the Dharma something that I tack onto my life or is it something that I offer myself up to? Yeah, we're we're um, we're make we're there's a kind of gesture of letting go of renunciation, not to give up things that actually bring deep happiness, but to to give up half-hearted happinesses. Yeah, and then there's this sense of refuge. The eagles cannot see you. Yeah, the eagles cannot see you. Safety. Um, we can can start to get um, a kind of felt sense of this: uh, the refuge of the the lineage, the refuge of the Dharma, of the Sangha, the refuge of goodness, a sense of actually coming to feel more and more safe, one's inner life becomes more and more safe. Mindfulness actually makes our inner life feel more and more safe. The medicine is in us, right here, right in this fathom long body. Okay, the last, uh, Last piece here. Jumping Mouse immediately began to investigate her new surroundings. There were even more things here than other places, busier things, an abundance of seeds and other things mice-like. In her investigation of these things, suddenly she ran upon a gray wolf who was sitting there doing absolutely nothing. Hello, Brother Wolf, Jumping Mouse said. The wolf's ears came alert and his eyes shone. Wolf, wolf, yes, that's what I am, I'm a wolf. But his mind dimmed again and it was not long before he sat quietly again, completely without memory as to who he was. Each time Jumping Mouse reminded him who he was, he became excited with the news but soon would forget again. Such a great being, thought Jumping Mouse, but he has no memory. Jumping Mouse went to the center of her new place and was quiet. She listened for a very long time to the beating of her heart. Then suddenly she made up her mind. She scurried back to the where the wolf sat and spoke. Brother Wolf, Jumping Mouse said. Wolf, wolf, said the wolf. Please, Brother Wolf, said Jumping Mouse. Please listen to me. I know what will heal you. It's one of my eyes, and I'll give it to you. You are a greater being than I. I am only a mouse. Please take it. When Jumping Mouse stopped speaking, her eye flew out of her head, and the wolf was made whole. Tears fell down the cheeks of the wolf, but his little sister could not see them, for she was now blind. You are a great sister, said the wolf. For now I have my memory, but you are blind. I am the guide into the sacred mountains and will take you there. 
There's a great medicine lake there, the most beautiful medicine lake in the world. The whole world is reflected there. The people, the lodges of the people, and all the beings of the prairies and skies. Please take me there, Jumping Mouse said. The wolf guided her through the pines to the medicine lake. Jumping Mouse drank water from the lake. The wolf described the beauty to her. I must leave you here, said Wolf, for I must return so that I may guide others. But I'll remain with you as long as you like. Thank you, brother, said Jumping Mouse. But although I'm frightened to be alone, I know you must go so you may show others the way. Jumping Mouse sat there trembling in fear. It was no use running, for she was blind. But she knew an eagle would find her here. She felt a shadow on her back and heard the sound that eagles make. She braced herself for the shock and the eagle hit. Jumping Mouse went to sleep. Then she woke up. The surprise of being alive was great, but now she could see. Everything was blurry, but the colors were beautiful. I can see, I can see, said Jumping Mouse over and over again. A blurry shape came towards Jumping Mouse. Jumping Mouse squinted hard, but the shape remained a blur. Hello, sister, a voice said. Do you want some medicine? Some medicine for me, asked Jumping Mouse. Yes, yes, then crouch as low as you can, the voice said, and jump as high as you can. Jumping Mouse did as she was instructed. She crouched as low as she could and then jumped. The wind caught her and carried her higher. Do not be afraid, the voice called to her. Hang on to the wind and trust. Jumping Mouse did. She closed her eyes and hung on to the wind and it carried her higher and higher. Jumping Mouse opened her eyes and they were clear and the higher uh, she went, the clearer they became. Jumping Mouse saw an old friend upon a lily pad on the beautiful medicine lake. It was the frog. You have a new name called the frog. You are eagle. Sitting there without sight waiting for an eagle to catch you. And um, for me, it connotes this gesture of like, this very deep surrender, yeah. That on this path of practice, we, we actually come to feel like our life is, is complete. It doesn't need more, we don't need more even. And the, the kind of urgency to, to know the heart, to know what's possible, overpowers the wish to have this life or that life. We start to care more about awareness than we do our life. Yeah, that actually happens. Yeah. And in that gesture of surrender, um, there's n- there are new possibilities. 
so we're letting go we're 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 willing to be without to be disoriented to be without our ordinary vision to uh to surrender without knowing what comes in the very next moment to not try to be kind of molding and shaping manufacturing the next moment that way we take a breath but it feels like a down payment on the next one yeah or we're trying to mold the moment such that the next one is better we get more concentrated we get more peace or something but surrender is a kind of we're not trying to do anything to the moment at all but be changed by the moment it's interesting that the practice is again the same crouch low jump high no secret teachings yeah the same one that Mouse got at the beginning, yeah? And hang onto the wind, hang onto the wind, letting go into anicca, anicca, the change, impermanence, the flow of change, to actually begin to let go, to surrender to change in, in this very body, like right now, to pay attention is to pay attention to change. We want to hold to some ground and and yet we're letting go of ground moment by moment, letting go of orientation and reference points, surrendering, surrendering. Yeah. And at first that feels like um, a very deep risk first Nietzsche feels like the most exposure we could have but then it starts to feel more and more like a refuge everything always changing growing collapsing expanding contracting everything everything nothing outside of that flow of change Mahasi Sayadaw, kind of revered uh, Burmese monk and teacher, I think uh, described himself something like, um, uh, all the doors are open, the windows are open, the lights are on, and nobody's home. Doors, windows open, lights on, nobody home. So we, we acclimatize to groundlessness, yeah? Just like we go up and change altitude, you know? We get maybe a little altitude sickness and then we, the body adjusts. Same here, we acclimatize to less and less ground. And at first that feels like um, free fall and it comes to feel more and more like refuge. 
something is happening here, something that we can't fully trace out. Some karma is being unfolded. I'll close with um, Bhikkhu Bodhi talking about refuge. Any particular phenomena represents far more than is immediately visible, even to a deeply probing inspection. A seed, for example, has much greater significance than the grain of organic matter that meets the eye. On one side, it collects into itself the entire history of the trees that went into its making. On the other, it points to the many potential trees locked up in its hull. Similarly, the act of consciousness involved in taking refuge represents a vast, the, the crystallization of a vast network of a forces extending backwards, forwards, and outwards in all directions. It simultaneously stands for the many lines of experience converging upon its formation out of the dim recesses of the past and the potential for future lines of development barely sketched in its own immediate content. Who knows what you're here to learn or what learning will catalyze in you. Who knows what the next moment of clarity or open-heartedness of love, who knows what that will do to you and for you. Just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.